You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, good morning. I'm glad you've joined us this morning. My name's Clint, and I want to add my welcome to Mark's. And we're going to open up God's Word together and see what He has for us. So if you want to get out your Bibles or turn them on or unlock them, however you do that these days, turn to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to continue our look at the life of Jacob. We spent a couple weeks looking at Abraham. Now we're going to talk about Jacob, and we're really we're going to see the pinnacle of Jacob's life, the hinge moment. And it reminds me a lot of a little piece of American history called the showdown at the OK Corral. Yeah, probably the most famous showdown in the history of America depicted in the movie Tombstone where water, there they are, look at those guys, there's a bad man pajamas right there. They mean business. Wide Earp and his brothers, they go to confront uh, this band of uh, outlaws known as the Cowboys uh, down in Tombstone, Arizona. And, that, you know, this has been building for a while. They'd had a bunch of run-ins, but then there came the day, time to settle the score. And so Wide Earp collects his brothers. They walk down the streets of Tombstone, and they're going to settle this once and for all. I want you to imagine if just... Instead of the way it actually went down, imagine if as Wide Earp and his brothers are walking down the street and they round the corner and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some other guy like Hulk Hogan comes running out, tackles Wide Earp to the ground, and they start wrestling. Now, I'm in for that. I, I'll watch that fight too. The thing is, that's just not the fight we were expecting. Genesis 32, this is essentially what happens. We are headed in this story to an ultimate showdown at the OK Corral between Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob and Esau for 30 years now have had, I believe the term these days is beef. They got beef. They got bad blood. But it is way worse than some Twitter feud. You remember, Jacob, he stole the blessing from Esau. He stole the rights of the firstborn. And we are told, the last time they're together, we are told that Esau comforts himself by plotting Jacob's death. Oh, man, that's ominous. That was 30 years ago. For 30 years, Jacob, he's been going back and forth with this other carn artist named Laban, and that's gone south, and so he's got to leave there, and so now he has to go home. He is headed towards Esau, this brother that he wronged that has been plotting his death for 30 years. Jacob knows a showdown is coming, and we're going to see something new from Jacob. Jacob is terrified. He is scared out of his wits, and rightly so. But here's the thing. Jacob didn't have to be scared. Jacob didn't have to do half the things he's done in his life. He could have had faith. He could have had faith. God had already promised Jacob, the blessing, he had already promised him the land that he's headed towards. He'd already promised him protection. He had promised him the birthright of the family. And eventually he had promised Jacob salvation of the whole earth is going to come through you, Jacob. But Jacob, over and over again, only trusts himself. And he doesn't seem real interested in this blessing for all nations type thing. Jacob really seem, only seems interested so far in three things. Me, myself, and I. That's all Jacob cares about. So today, in chapter 32, Jacob's lack of faith has to be confronted. 
So he's headed towards Esau, and just as he turns that corner for a showdown with Esau, God is going to come in. God is going to jump off the top ropes and say, let's wrestle, Jacob. Let's settle this. And when he does that, in that moment, God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, in all your schemes, your whole life, these 30 years, you haven't been fighting against Laban. You haven't been fighting against your wives. You haven't really even been fighting against Esau. Jacob, you've been wrestling me. And we're going to settle that score right now. What Jacob's going to find out, and this is the big idea of our sermon this morning, to win the blessing, you have to lose to God. To win the blessing, you have to lose to God. So let's begin reading Genesis 32. We'll start in verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. I should have looked up how to pronounce that before I got up here, but I didn't. This is fascinating. We find out there's two camps. So in the ancient Near East, your camp was all your resources, all your influence, Everything you have at your disposal is packed up in your camp, and Jacob is traveling along with it. And this is the story of Jacob's life, trusting his own camp. That's the story of his life. He pursues everything in his life with his own strength, even the things God has promised him. He attempts to gain even the things God's promised him. He attempts to gain with his own strength and his own ways. But you know, maybe, maybe I can get a little bit quicker. Or maybe, maybe I can do it just a little bit better or you know, maybe with a little less pain and suffering. See, Jacob, his problem is the same as our problem. He's got a lot of resources. He's got a whole lot of resources. He has conned his way into significant wealth and importance. And what he's going to do as he goes to face Esau, he's going to throw all of his resources at the problem, all of his resources at Esau. But before he can do that, in verse 2, he realizes, wait a minute, there's another camp here. There's God's camp. All God's resources, all of God's power. This is a little hint, a little moment of faith. Faith is learning to trust God's camp more than your own. Learning to trust his resources more than your own. See, throughout Jacob's life, throughout his life, God has been pursuing Jacob. He, he's been trying to get through to Jacob and tell him, listen, what I have promised you, Jacob, it will be accomplished. Yet over and over again, Jacob refuses to have faith. Jacob, you refuse to build your whole life on my ability to keep my promises. And instead, you trust in your own strength. You trust in your own camp. If you want the blessing I have promised you, Jacob, you're going to have to give up your camp and come over to mine. To win the blessing, you have to lose to God. Verse 3. It says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus shall you say to my Lord Esau, thus your, says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. Jacob goes into self-protection mode. He sends out all these messengers that had loaded with gifts, donkeys, flocks, all the, he's like Dr. Doolittle all of a sudden, sending all these livestock ahead of him. Now that might sound much like, not like sound much to us, but he, today he's the guy pulling up in his entourage with about eight different black SUVs, okay? This is Jacob now. And he's trying to buy back Esau's favor. He remembers his brother. 
He remembers his brother's appetite. He says, you know, it worked earlier with just a pot of stew. Wait till I give him all this. He is spending everything to win over his brother. Verse 6, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the fox and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he sends out all these gifts, you know, all these animals, and then the messengers come back, hey, maybe it's time to switch from protection mode to panic mode, because they tell him, uh, yeah, your brother's coming with 400 men, to which I imagine Jacob's immediate reaction was, ah! These are 400 warriors led by a general who has been comforting self, himself with the plans of your death for 30 years. And so verse 7 says, he is greatly afraid and distressed. You think? Yeah. This is different for Jacob. We have never seen Jacob like this. Usually he's cool, calm, collected. He's usually two steps ahead of everyone else. He doesn't panic. He doesn't get afraid. So what's happening? He is starting to realize there is nothing in my camp that can save me from this judgment. Nothing. So he does a pathetic and selfish thing. Jacob sacrifices his camp to save himself. So he says, okay, here's, here's what I'll do. I got a scheme. He divides his camp and he figures, okay, if Esau conquers one, then, then there's a second one and, and he'll have to conquer that second one. And guess where Jacob's going to put himself? Behind both of them. In the very back. This is pure self-preservation. He is expecting everyone and everything to lay down their life to save him. He is willing to sacrifice his whole camp to save himself. But I think, I think even in that, he senses it's not going to be enough. Jacob or Esau and his 400 men, they're going to make it through both those camps. And then they're only left with me. And I think that because the, what Jacob does next is something we haven't seen him do yet. He prays. Out of his fear and his terror, with no other options, Jacob does something he's never done, at least recorded in Genesis. He prays. And it's no coincidence he does that when he's realizing his camp can't save him. And it's actually a great prayer. It's actually a prayer that I think we can glean a lot out of. So let's read it, starting in verse 9. It says, And Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do good to you. He begins his prayer with who God is and what God has said. Now, I don't know about you, but that's usually not how I begin my prayers. When I pray it, you know what? It's so easy to begin with just my list. Here's the cares of the day. The cares of the day rush into my prayer without a thought about who God is or what he has said. Isn't it so true? Our, our anxieties can often dictate our prayers so much more than the character of God. I heard one guy describe it, you know, we treat God like a pinata and we have a stick. And if we just beat him enough, we'll get out of him what we want. So I, I don't know about you, that's about half my prayer life right there. It's just me with a stick. If I beat God enough, he'll give me what I want. Here's the other half of my prayers. 
often. If one half is asking for stuff, the other half is looking for answers. You know, and after we beat them with a stick like a pinata, we shake them like a magic eight ball. You know, seeking answers to our problems. Help me make this decision. As if me obsessing about my problems, God, will make him just give me the answer. Tell me what I should do. Jacob doesn't begin treating God like a pinata or a magic eight ball. He begins by talking to God about who God is and what he has said. And men and women, we, we have a gift today that Jacob didn't even have. He had stories from his fathers about who God is and what he has said. We have the full revelation of the Bible about who God is and what he has said. Amen. So do you ever pray God's word? We should. I should. I should do it more. Because when you pray God's word, you're not just asking for what you want. You're claiming what he has already promised. And that's a big difference. And, and praying God's word gives us clarity and discernment. See, the, the path to discernment, the path to clarity, it's by obsessing about God, not about obsessing about my problems. So this week, I'd, I'd encourage you, if you've never done this, don't, don't just read the Bible. You should read the Bible, but don't stop there. Pray through the Bible. As you're reading, if you get to the place where he, he tells you something about himself, pause, stop right there. Pray that to him. When you get to a place where he promises something, pause right there and just take a few minutes to pray that. Begin your prayers that way. And then what you'll find out is the same thing Jacob finds out. When, when you begin to pray who God is, very quickly you realize, I'm not worthy. Verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faith, faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. So he's saying, I had nothing. I just had a staff, and now I have two camps worth of stuff. I'm not worthy of that. The only way that happened, he says, is because of two things, your love and faithfulness, your hesed and your amet. And these two words you'll find together over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Hesed is God's faithful, loyal, steadfast love. Amet means his consistency, his firmness, and his unchanging nature. And together, the Old Testament portrays that this is the core of God's character. And that means it's not just something that God has. It's not just something that God does. It's who God is. He is faithful, loyal love. So Jacob's saying here, oh, oh all, the, all the good things in my camp, they actually came from God's camp. And you know what God's camp is made of? Hesed and Amet. His faithful, loyal love. Excuse me. So only now does Jacob make his request. Verse 11. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, you think, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. So verse 11, really we could just translate in one word. Help! I can't do this. I need you. Deliver me, he says. I need saving. And God will answer Jacob's plea, but not the way Jacob expects. So we find out 
as Jacob gets up from his prayer, we find out old habits are hard to break. So Jacob, he gets up from his prayer and he begins to work his own plan. He sends the whole camp out to save him. He gets all his stuff organized to present to Esau. The, the scriptures say he sends droves and droves of presents and gifts to Esau. And each wave of gift is supposed, supposed to say the same thing. Hey, this is a gift from Jacob. Oh, but there's more about, there's even more coming. And Jacob said, you know, this will butter him up. I will appeal to his greed. And in verse 20, he tells us what he's hoping all of these works, all of these gifts will do. Verse 20, for he thought, that's Jacob, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Perhaps, maybe, he will accept me. Maybe, just maybe. After I've given him my best effort, I've done enough penance, I've enriched him enough, done all I can for him, maybe he'll accept me. This is how our human nature says blessing comes. I throw all my resources at it. I earn it. But notice the uncertainty. Maybe it's enough. If I do enough, perhaps I can be accepted. Have you ever paid with your credit card? in a store, and you're not quite sure if you got enough left on there to cover it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not me, but like, not you either. Like other people, I've heard this happens. And there's that like excruciating moment where you don't know if it's been approved or denied. When we depend on our camp for our whole lives, we live our whole lives in that excruciating moment, wondering, if it'll be enough, wondering if we'll be approved or denied. Here's all I have. Will it be accepted or declined? So what about for Jacob? Is it going to work for Jacob? He's emptied his camp. He's given, he gives all he has. He has nothing left. But before he can face Esau and before we can find out, Jacob has to face God. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So suddenly, this is where we get the bell ringing. Ding, ding, ding. Let's get ready to rumble. This man appears out of nowhere and wrestles with Jacob all night. And at first, the text is ambiguous. We don't know who it is. Later, we find out this is God. So Jacob, he goes to bed that night. He thinks the biggest test of his life, the greatest conflict he'll ever face, his ultimate challenge is his showdown with his brother Esau. But then God shows up from the top ropes and says, no, 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 no. Your showdown isn't with Esau. Your showdown is with me. You have to get right with me, Jacob. And it's time. And it says they wrestle all night long. Have you ever wrestled? I mean, as a teenager, I could go like two or three minutes. I think at this point in my life, I've got about 30 seconds left in me before I just flatline. And y'all, somebody's calling the ambulance. They wrestle all night until the sun starts to come up. They were probably wrestling until literally Jacob could not move anymore. He has emptied himself of his resources, emptied himself of all of his energy. And that's what God will do in your life. God loves you enough to wrestle with you as long as it takes for you to reach the end of yourself. God loves you enough to do that. Remember his kindness and his faithfulness, his has said and a met. 
that is every bit as much a display right now as God jumps down from the top ropes as it was when he had all the oxen and donkeys and flocks and servants. God loves you enough to wrestle with you. But he isn't wrestling with Jacob to destroy him or to punish him. He is wrestling with Jacob to save him. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He pops his hip out of socket. Now, y'all, this is incredibly difficult. Your hip is the largest joint in your body, and it takes an incredible amount of force to pop that thing out of socket. We're talking normally like car wreck type of force. This guy just touches him with his finger, and it dislocates his hip. This is a powerful guy. This is God. If this guy can dislocate his hip with just a touch of the finger, then we, f- we are finding out he could have destroyed Jacob all along. But God is voluntarily holding himself back. It's like when I wrestle with my kids, you know? I don't wrestle with my kids with my whole strength. That would hurt them. So I tone it down. But even though I'm toning it down, y'all, I'm in control the whole time. I mean, I might let up and let them get their shots in, let them think they're in control for a little bit. They're not in control. I'm in control, you know? And I, I, you know, I turn it up sometimes. I give them just a little bit just to let them know who's boss. And then I'll let it go as long as I want to let it go. And then when daddy's tired, I just do like the death grip bear hug and say, all right, you done yet? We're done here, okay? Because I've been in control the whole time. God is holding back. That's what he's doing. But that doesn't mean it wasn't painful for Jacob. It was just pain with a purpose. This guy, he's going to walk with a limp for the rest of his life, we find out. It's going to be a permanent reminder. But think about it. Think about what God has done here. The man who has been constantly on the run can literally no longer run from God. Men and women, anything, anything that causes us to abandon our own camp And place our faith in God is a gift. It may not feel good. It may be very painful. But it is an act of his faithful, loyal love. It is a gift. Because if his true character is really faithful, loyal love, then that means his will for you is better than anything else, including your will for your life. To win the blessing, you have to lose to God because he loves you, is what he's saying. And we see that even in Jacob. Jacob understands this event, not as punishment, but as an answer to his prayer, as God delivering him. Let's pick it back up in verse 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. Now this is fascinating to me. Jacob refuses to go, which is surprising to me. If someone had spent all night giving you the business, left you with a lifelong wound, you're not going to say, hey, please stay, have coffee, let's snuggle. This is going well. But Jacob doesn't want to let go of God. 
Because this thing happens. When we meet God, even when we lose to him, it turns out we don't want to run from him. We want to cling to him. And so Jacob says, bless me. Bless me. And here it is. This moment of faith that God has been wrestling with him for. Remember his plan with Esau. His plan with Esau, hey, I'm going to put my whole camp in front of me. Maybe with all that, Esau will accept me. But God has forced Jacob away from his works and into a place of faith. Jacob literally can't fight God anymore. He is alone. He is exhausted. He is injured. His camp is gone. He literally has no more resources. So what's left? Just ask God. That's all that's left. And depend on his grace. He clings to God and says, my life depends on your willingness to bless me and have nothing to earn that blessing with. I can't pay for it. I can't wrestle it from you. All I can do is ask and cling to you. That's all I got left. So God asked him a question. He asked him, well, what's your name? And this is not the follow-up question Jacob wants because he's not just asking for literally his name. He's asking for his character. Tell me who you are. Tell the God of the universe who you really are. And Jacob finally tells the truth about himself. Jacob, heel grabber, liar, deceiver, manipulator, cheat. That's who I am. We must all come to the place where we confess to God who we really are. But Here's what's amazing. Because of grace... We don't confess and then run away. We don't confess and hide. And we aren't destroyed when we tell the truth about ourselves. We confess and then we cling to him. This is faith. Faith is saying like Jacob, God, this is who I am. Don't let me go. That's faith. That's trusting in God's camp. Who I am is not enough. I need you. This is who I am. Don't let me go. Bless me, God. And look at what God does in verse 28. God gives him a new name. So he asks for a blessing. He gets a new name. The text is telling us the name is the blessing. Israel means God fights and God wins. Your name, Jacob, means God wins. You have been battling against me and I win. And that's a blessing for you. That's what God is telling him. Jacob's new name, Israel, it's it's a blessing so far beyond anything Jacob could have ever sought for himself. This name, Israel, it's going to appear in the Old Testament 1,800 times. It's going to lead even to salvation for the whole world. It's the blessing God had promised when he told his forefathers, I'll be your God and you will be my people. It is the blessing of a relationship with God. See, when God wins, you get the blessing. And we see in verse 30, this is exactly how Jacob understands it. He says, I've been delivered. I've been delivered. That deliverance I wanted, I have received it from God. Remember, that's, that's how he began. That's how he prayed. God, please save me. And now he says, God has given me that salvation. And you may say, well, that makes no sense. He's limping along, wounded. How has he been delivered? Because Jacob has figured out it is better to limp toward grace than to sprint towards judgment. See, when Jacob was doing things his way, he was headed straight into the rightful judgment of his brother Esau. He was headed into his own death, taken there by the consequences of his own actions. 
But when he wrestled with God, he was delivered. He was delivered by losing to God. And so losing to God means he saves us from the judgment we create from ourselves, and he blesses us. You win blessing when you lose to God. What God, men and women, what God is trying to do in your life and in my life, just like Jacob's life, he's trying to keep you from running to your own judgment. And there's only one way he could do this. See, that night, God, God did not put the full weight of his judgment on Jacob that night. Why not? I mean, Jacob was guilty. He was a rascal. He'd done all kind of bad things. He hadn't had faith. The only way God could hold back that night is because God was delaying the judgment until he could bear it himself. You see, when Jesus came, men and women, God did not hold back his wrath, did not hold back his judgment. He poured the full weight on his son, not just to pop a hip out of socket, but to take his life on the cross. He would let his son die and experience the judgment that was due to you and me. Because Jesus, Jesus is the opposite of Jacob. Remember how Jacob, he sent the whole camp out in front of himself to protect himself. He sacrificed everyone else to save himself. Jesus does just the opposite. He goes out in front of the camp and he sacrifices himself to save everyone else. He lays down his life for us. And so the New Testament says, Jesus is the blessing. He is the blessing that God wants for you and to me. But to win this blessing, we have to lose to God. See, the way to a relationship with God isn't do your best. It's not trust in your own camp. Jacob had it completely wrong when he said, here's the presence, perhaps I'll be accepted. That's the way it works. That's the way of our human nature, and it's the way that never works. It leads straight to judgment. Jacob was saved when he said, God, this is who I am. Don't let me go. And he clung to him in faith. Men and women, God loves you enough to wrestle away your trust in yourself and in your stuff. Maybe, maybe he's wrestling with you right now. Maybe he's been wrestling with you this week. If so, if that's the case, Dallas Willard says, faith, faith is waving the white flag. Faith is surrendering to God. It's saying, you know what? My camp does nothing for me. I need saving. I give up and I trust you. So ask yourself this morning, whether you've never followed Jesus before, or whether you've been following him for 30 years, ask yourself this morning, is it true? Is it true that God loves us with faithful, loyal love, and he wants to bless us, and he wants to save us from judgment? If that is true, why wouldn't we surrender our lives to him? Why wouldn't we? Win the blessing by losing to God. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.